Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. We're starting a brand new Sunday school series today on Psalm 119. Now, <clears throat> this is a wonderful psalm, and we'll give an introduction to, to it here in this morning's thing. But Psalm 119, and we're going to look at verse number 18 to start off with. Psalm 119. Of course, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm found in the Word of God. It is also a very powerful psalm. Psalm 119. Um, I want to go ahead and do an introduction, but I want to wait till we read the passage. I don't want to get too far ahead. So Psalm 119, and look with me in verse number 18. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things from out of thy law. That is a wonderful prayer to pray every time you open up the word of God. It happens to be that Psalm 119 verse 18 is the central verse in all of the Bible. It is the verse that's right in the middle of everything. What a wonderful verse to be right in the middle of all the word of God. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Now, as we approach Psalm 119, we don't know for sure who wrote this psalm. Various suggestions have given uh, David, Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Malachi, or Daniel. It is my personal belief, based off internal evidence, that this is a young man. We could see different things with him being a young man. We know that this man is someone who suffered quite a bit and was had contempt, if not downright ill treatment. His enemies included Jewish people who were in a position of power that were able to do him harm. It's always rough when it's your own countrymen that are trying to do you harm. He was always in physical danger. He faced apostasy. He dealt with temptation quite often where people were trying to tempt him to sin. Now all of this kind of paints a picture about who this may be. So it's a young man. He has people in a position of power that could do him wrong. It's people who, who um, are supposed to live for the Lord but they're not. And they try to tempt him to stop obeying the Lord because they're not obeying the Lord. They don't want him to obey the Lord. Now with this, we also have evidence that there's no mention of the temple. There's no uh, evidence of a ritual law. So this kind of paints the picture that this is actually after the destruction of Jerusalem. Otherwise, there'd be more emphasis on the temple. There'd be more emphasis on some of the ritual law. So because that is different, that wipes out a couple of the candidates. It is my personal belief that this is Daniel the prophet. As he is taken as a young man from Jerusalem. That he was there and he had to stand by himself. Of course we heard our evangelist Paul Swanky make mention of him the other day. That he had to stand on his own when the rest of his countrymen didn't want to stand. 
And how do you keep going when you are the only believer around? How do you go when other people who are supposed to be believers of God are not trying to work with you? In my, as we're reading this, we could see that this is more than likely something that the psalmist, which I believe would be Daniel, put together as a reminder to keep walking forward, to keep living for the Lord, to keep going, to remind him that he has to stay with the word of God. And with this, this psalm does just that. As you go through it, um, maybe I could dispel some things because this became an important psalm to me. Most of you know that I'm a history person. I love history. And so I'm not a poetical person. I don't write flowery poems. I don't sit and write songs. I don't think about this stuff. And so I know that there's sometimes when people get discouraged or they need some help, they'll go to the Psalms because they enjoy the uh, issues of the heart, the the things of the heart. They enjoy the poetry. They enjoy, they get a lot of encouragement from the Psalms. It's not my cup of tea. If I need encouragement, I go to the historical books. I'd love to see how God works in the lives of the people and how he interacts. So with that, I admit that Psalms are probably one of my weakest areas. Not the minor prophets. I love the minor prophets. Major prophets, great. It's the Psalms that are my weakest area, which is opposite for most people. So, Knowing Psalms as it is, that Psalm 119, I always knew that it mentioned the word of God in every verse. Now, it is the longest psalm. And so every verse, it mentions something about the word of God. And so I knew that coming in. But I figured, oh, okay, it's like God is good. The word of God is good. You know, that's how I imagined it when I first studied it. But when I started diving into this psalm, it opened up even more. That it tells a story of a young man who wants to live for the Lord. A young man who doesn't have any kind of encouragement. Doesn't really have necessarily a synagogue to go to. Doesn't have a church to go to. We know they didn't have churches there. But just as a relate. He doesn't have other believers that can encourage him. How are you going to stay faithful to the word of God? Well, he had to have something that he could refer to to remind him to go to the Word of God. And so, even though every verse mentions the Word of God, it also speaks a lot about his situation. The things that he faces daily. The troubles that he goes to. And the Word of God was the answer. What did he do when he was encouraged, discouraged? Went to the Word of God. What did he go when there was a temptation of sin? Went to the Word of God. What did he do when it seemed like everyone was against him? He went to the Word of God. What do you do when the laws being passed aren't right? You go to the Word of God. Every time, every situation, it was his reminder, go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God. Go to the... And as studying this, it became even more powerful that it's not just how great the word of God is, Psalm. It's in every situation I come to, I need the word of God. I need the word of God. Now, this also seems <coughs> that this young man, whoever it is, my belief it's Daniel, but it could be someone else. But it seems to point that he was writing with, about his own relationship with the word of God. He did not write about the word of God like it was a harsh edict. Like, oh no, the Bible says I have to do this. Oh no, I'm, I'm burdened by the word of God. But instead, it reflects a person who loves God's word and wanted to build the reminders of how great the word of God is 
within his own life. So with that, let's kind of examine a little bit more the overview of Psalm 119. First of all, let's hit the structure of the psalm. The structure of the psalm. Now this psalm is actually written as an acrostic. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that each letter inside of the psalm was reflecting something. In this case, what it did is that it broke down the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And so each letter, they would have a segment of eight verses. For example, the first Hebrew alpha, uh, letter would be Aleph, which would be equivalent to our A. And every verse inside of that section, eight verses, each of them in Hebrew start with the word A. And then the next one would be Beth. <laughs> this would again be equivalent to our letter B. And all eight verses in Hebrew are start with a letter B. Now you say, well, we have an English Bible. It doesn't look like that. I understand there's a thing of translation that it doesn't translate well. However, we want to reflect and understand where this came from, that each one was a reflection. Now with this, you can learn a little bit about the Hebrew alphabet. Notice with me in Psalm 119, most of your Bibles will have headings between each eight verses within Psalm 119. Do you see that? So let's look and we could actually learn the Hebrew alphabet in order. Notice it starts with Aleph. That's the word A. Some of you might actually have the Hebrew signal right next to it. Or if you look at the book, I broke up the book that in between each section has that section of eight verses. And I have the Hebrew letter and the Hebrew word right next to it. It's Aleph. And then we go to a section of Beth. Then we have Gimel. Then we have Daleth. After that, we have Heh. Um, in Hebrew, a lot of the uh, pronunciations aren't soft. They're hard. So, heh, heh. And then we have vu, vu. Then zane. Then we have hef. That's a fun word. Hef. It's, a, it's supposed to be like a cough. Deeper. Hef. That kif. Kif. Sorry. My Hebrew classes are a long time ago, so forgive me. And then we have teth. Then we had a yod, which by the way, you'll see that in the New Testament as a, uh, with a Y, yod. <laughs> then you'll have kaf, kaf, C-A-P-H, kaf. Again, you get that hard throat thing, kaf. Then you have lamed, lamed, mim, mim, nun, None. Then you have semic, semic. Then you have ain. Then pe, pe. And then zadi, zadi. That T is kind of a silent zadi. And then kof, kof. Resh, shen, shen. Tau. And that would be the 22 letters. And so remember that each of these are broken up in sections of eight verses. Each of these eight verses are going to start with the Hebrew alphabet. Now again, this is poetical. Probably more poetical than I would try to do. But this was something that was a help to the psalmist, whoever it was, as a way to 
record this down. And by the way, each segment is a family and they're going to talk about almost a biography of the thing that he is going through when he put that together. And just as a reminder. And so we're going to go through this segment by segment. There's 22... um, to uh, segments. We're going to go through a Sunday school series of 23. We got to have an introduction. Then we have each of the 22 segments. And we're going to see a little bit more of the psalmist's life. Now we know that this form of writer writing may seem artificial to us, but for the writer, it was probably a good way to aid in memory. So if it all started with the same letter, it would help him to memorize this scripture when he was putting it together. It was a way to keep God's word in his heart when there was no other source of encouragement to help him to continue to do what was right. Now, after that, we have the structure of Psalm 118. We also have the content of Psalm 118. The content of Psalm 118. Almost all verses, except for one, in Um, Psalm 119 have a reference to the word of God. God is mentioned in every verse that they're all tied together. Psalm, this Psalm has 70 prayer requests. So again, it's not just about the word of God, but there's 70 prayer requests that he has in here. There, the Psalmist refers to himself 325 times and he mentions his suffering 66 times throughout this Psalm. He resolves to know to keep and to obey God's word. There are several words that are going to be referred to as as the word of God in different ways in Psalm 119. Now, when the word is defined, they'll actually help us to have a better understanding of the importance of the word of God. Here's the list of the different ways that the word of God is referred to. There are times that it is called The law. The law. When it calls the law, it carries the idea of instruction flowing from divine revelation. So God revealed it. It's God's law. This is something that God has given. This instruction that has come from God. That's the law. When it refers to the word, it's anything that proceeds from the mouth of God. Divine revelation is not conceptual, but verbal. Meaning that... When we see God's word, that means it came from his mouth. That's also where we get the idea of inspiration. God gave us his word. This is God's word he gave. Then we'll see it, though God's word referred to as testimony. Testimony. The idea of testimony is to testify or to witness. It carries the idea that God is a source of absolute. So when it carries the testimony, it's saying, this is true. It's not, it might be true, or this is my opinion, or this is my preference. When God speaks about his word and says, it's my testimony, it says, my testimony is true. This is true, absolutely. Then sometimes it will refer to God's word as his precepts. Precepts. This carries the idea that it refers to a charge. And it refers to anything that God has ordered. Now the word charge is like, all right, I am charging you to go do this. Uh, Sometimes when young men are called to preach, we'll give them a charge saying, this is what I want you to do. Paul gave a charge to Timothy. I charge thee therefore before the quick and the dead. So this is the idea of a precept that I'm giving you an order. I'm charging you. I'm giving you a responsibility for you to carry this out. This is your charge, your responsibility, your order. Sometimes the word of God is referred to as a statute. 
as a statute. This carries the idea of something prescribed and shows that God is our guide. So our statute is something that guides us. So God gives a statute. This is what God has given to us to guide us into the right direction. It's a statute. And then it's also called commandments. Now, all of these are talking about the word of God, just a different way of saying it. So instead of getting boring and say word of God, word of God, word of God, it uses different things, but these definitions are important. When God talks about his commandments, it's anything he commanded. We could think that. That's easy, right? Anything God commanded. And then we see it also referred to as God's judgments. Judgments. This carries the idea of a legal decision. It shows that God is the supreme judge and this is what he has ruled in a legal sense. This is what he has determined what is right. So all of these are going to be found in Psalm 118. Remember, every verse, there's 176 verses, every verse except for one refers to the word of God. That's a lot. It's 175 verses about the word of God. And knowing these definitions will help as we see what God is teaching uh, through the inspiration of scripture with this psalmist. Then comes to our response. Now, let's imagine that I said, guess what class? We're going to memorize Psalm 119 and we're going to say it all together. We'd have some people that roll their eyes. We'd have the class groan. Oh, why a big deal? Well, why is Psalm 119 a big deal? I mean, that kind of almost sounds boring to some people. Every verse about the Word of God, oh, that sounds dry. Oh, it sounds like it's going to be awful. Oh, I'm not going to get anything out of this. Actually, as we go through here, seeing how the words are repeated and which words are repeated shows that there is a proper response. How do we respond to the word of God? Well, first of all, we have the word delight. The word delight is used seven times. How should we respond to God's word? It should be our delight. In fact, notice a couple passages with me. Look at Psalm 119.16. Psalm 119, 16. It says, Psalm 119, 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. What is a response that we should have to Psalm 118 because of the study? We should delight in it. I can't wait to read my Bible. I want to read my Bible. I delight to read my Bible. Most people, they're like, oh, do I have to? It shouldn't be a have to. It should be I delight in it. This is wonderful. This is what the psalmist went to. He says, I delight in it. Studying God's word is, doesn't turn me off and make it more boring. It makes me where I enjoy the study of 119. I enjoy the study of God's word. Notice verse 24. Let's just look at several of them. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. I hope that God's testimonies, his word, is your delight and your counselors will get more of that and different things. But it should be your guide. It should give you your instruction. Notice with me uh, verse number 35. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments. For therein do I delight. Do you delight in God's word? Notice with me verse number 47. And I will delight myself in thy commandments. Which I have loved. Now there's more that comes about delighting God's word. But notice we get another word here. I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have 
loved. What's another response that we should have to God's word because of our study of it? The word love. The word love is used nine times in this psalm. Do you love God's word? Now, not only should you delight in it, you should love God's word. You shouldn't hate God's word. You shouldn't despise God's word. Oh, may I pause? A couple years ago, I did a study of the emotions of the Bible. And to see how the emotions are used are powerful. Do you know that God says, especially in the book of Ezekiel, but it's found other places, that in order for you to disobey God's word, you first have to despise God's word? That's what comes first. Before you could disobey God's word, you have to despise God's word. That means I have to get to the choice where I say, I choose me rather than God's word. I despise God's word. Before you could disobey it, you have to come to a decision of despising it. No, I don't want to do what God said. Well, if we love God's word, we're not going to despise it. That's going to help us to obey. It's the idea of loving. Notice if you don't mind, let's look at a couple places. <clears throat> There's more than nine, but notice with me in verse number 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Notice Psalm 113. Psalm 113. I hate vain or empty thoughts, but thy law do I love. Uh, notice with me Psalm 119. 119. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love thy testimonies. Notice with me in verse number 27. Or 127. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Do you love God's word more than money? Do you love God's word more than stuff? That's where the psalmist go. How did the psalmist keep from sinning? How did he keep from failing? Because he loved God's word more than stuff, more than money, more than power, more than position. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. Then there's another word that pops up over the time. The idea of keep. That carries the idea of obey. That over 22 times the idea of keeping in there. Now, if you are going to delight in God's word. If you are going to love God's word. The natural conclusion is that you're going to keep or obey God's word. Remember, we've said the opposite. That in order for you to disobey God's word, you have to despise it. If you love God's word then you're going to keep God's word. And over and over and over we'll see this. Now there are some that have referred to Psalm 119 as the alphabet of divine love. That's a good way to put it. Normally we say, well, it's about the word of God. Well, someone who reads it and studies it and sees the, the dilemmas and the situation that the psalmist found himself, he said, no, no, this is the alphabet of divine love. That God loves me and I love him back. That God protects me and keeps me. He answers my prayers. He watches me. And my response is I love him. And because I love him, I love his word as well. Of course, the heart of Psalm 119 reveals the word come in flesh, 
Jesus Christ is the living word. And this is his written word. Both of them are the revelation of God. Remember, what is the main purpose of, God, of the Bible? The main purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. That's the whole purpose, to reveal God to man. So why did the psalmist love God's word? Because it told him more about the Savior he loved. You want to know more about Jesus? Love his word. You want to get closer to Jesus? Love his word. So Psalm 119 is powerful because it's not just about the word of God. It's about who God is and how he's revealed himself. And because I love God, I want to know more and more about Jesus. Oh, we're so thankful that God has given us his word that we can know more about him. And so as we approach Psalm 119, this should be our own prayer request. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I hope that you're seeking for wondrous things because if you seek them, you will find them. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.